0: Happening now, we'd like to welcome our viewers from across North America and around the world. Welcome to the EdTech Situation Room, episode 137 for June the 6th, 2019. I am Wes Fryer coming to you from Oklahoma City. Thrilled that the Google Hangout on air has worked without a hitch uh, right now. And maybe our Google blips are are behind us. But Jason Neifer is out on assignment this week, and I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Dave Quinn, Quinn on Twitter, who is coming to us all the way from the Northeast. And have you all floated away or been snowed away or has, has, has life just been a perfect weather experience, uh, for you guys? Well, through- you know,
1: it, it's funny you say that Wes, because, um, this year in my district, and I think this is similar for many, at least in my neck of Massachusetts, we only had one snow day. Um, so the, the end of the school year is, is right upon us. And when we typically would have, you know, maybe a, another week or two to wrap up some of our, uh, our projects, it's, uh, Coming uh quickly to the end, so we're 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 up against the clock. Uh I've I've got my iPad collection ensemble on right now, so please excuse the hat. This is the uh You
0: know what? Uh, I've got a two year old and uh iPad
1: collection no no uh no haircut recently, so there's
0: there's no judgment. There's no judgment here. So, you know, this is this is the evening, and you're up super late in the East Coast time. So, thanks for being willing to to stay up. And so, you're were you batching it? I've been batching it. My, the wife has been uh, actually in Savannah, Georgia, with her sister. So, I've had the girls, and we've wow. we've fared okay. But um, anyway, but you guys aren't done with school. See, she's no, we're not done, done with, school.
1: with school. So, uh, my wife works evenings, and. um, You know, you've been kind enough to invite me on. I'm I'm glad we finally got to connect. Um, you know, so a lot of times it's like tonight. Fortunately, Zach's asleep. Um, my wife works evenings at a a children's hospital in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, but she was actually at her 10th college reunion last weekend. So I was, uh, batching it, uh, last weekend, but it's a lot of fun, uh, great watching, uh, my son learn and, uh, have all those engaging experiences with him. So.
0: Absolutely. Well, if anybody wants to go back in time, uh, Dave was last on the show for episode 96 on May 30th, 2018. And for those that uh, don't know you, Dave, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? And uh, uh, you can even, if you want to, kind of explain the, the Beth Holland connection. And, yeah. and you were just t- telling me this awesome story about your kids doing great stuff with, with uh, weather balloons and sensors and Raspberry Pi and talking to the state legislature, man. You're just doing some awesome stuff.
1: Yeah, so um I I work for an, an incredible district uh, the Mennington Upton Regional School District in Central Massachusetts. Um you know, we're about I'd say 20 minutes uh east of uh, the city of Worcester, about 45 minutes southwest of Boston. Um we're about a district of about 2000-2300 students. Uh my role is the Director of Technology Integration. Uh, is to, um, work with teachers to utilize the, um, or one-to-one iPads from 5 through 12, uh, iPads in many of the classrooms in the elementary, uh, to use those devices to, uh, create deep, meaningful learning experiences that's focused on creativity. And, um, as my colleague, John Clements, uh, principal of Nipmuc Regional High School often says, to do real work that matters. Um, and today we, we had a, an example of that, um, Brian Crosby who I um, met at educon I want to say three or four years ago now did an amazing session with uh, Kevin Jarrett about his work with launching weather balloons uh, And it really piqued my curiosity it took me a year or two um, but convinced uh, one of my colleagues in the engineering department to to give it a try uh, and this um, this past uh, April we had our, our third iteration Um Thanks to a grant from, uh, Matt, the Maskew organization and a partnership with, uh, Dr. Tory Trust of the U- UMass Amherst and the College of Education there. Um, we launched two balloons. Uh, we had to go out west to Amherst because, um, you know, while we're not that close to the coast, um, in, in weather balloon distance, we, we are, um, we've, we've managed to lose some balloons to the, the Atlantic, uh, from time to time, but, uh, this past spring, we did the Global Space Balloon Challenge. Um, students launched a 1500 gram balloon uh, attached with a GoPro Fusion to capture a 360 experience of the trip. Uh, we also had a Raspberry Pi, which the students programmed to collect uh, temperature and pressure and humidity data um, using a sense hat. Um, and then, you know, we launch it with a, a spot GPS, we track it and we, uh, go, uh, track it down, um, and, uh, you know, talk a little about the journey. We can share some links to the videos. It's really cool to see what the war- what the, uh, a little bit of the Southeastern New England looks like from about 80,000 feet. Um, but we got a chance today. Thanks again to MassQ for setting up this event called, uh, education evolution where uh, districts from around the state had a chance to, uh, showcase their work. Um, at the State House in this area called the Hall of Flags, uh, we invited our, our state legislators to come on down to take a look at the work that we're doing, seeing where those tax dollars are invested. Um, and needless to say, uh, they, they were blown away. And I, I think justifiably so based on the work that our, our students did. Uh, it was really nice to just kind of get out of their way and let them tell their stories uh, and just uh, sit back, watch, snap a couple of pictures, put them up on Twitter. Um, but really fortunate to have that opportunity to um you know just just showcase the work that we're doing and and show people what's possible in public schools um you know this is uh, I think an example of what what deeper learning could look like with purposeful tech integration um, and uh, just really excited to, to have that opportunity today and uh, proud of proud of my students uh, I also want to mention my colleague Jim Gorman who is the uh, physics and engineering teacher who was just instrumental in the Uh, science components of, of this work. I work on the tech side of it. Um, and just the, the students understanding or application of physics to explain that the whole trip was just, um, a tribute to his, his efforts with those kids. So
0: that is fantastic. 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 Well, I want to give a shout out to Beth Holland, who's BR Holland on Twitter as well, who is the reason that, uh, Dave and I got connected virtually. Um I don't think we've ever met face to face. No, we, we probably, haven't. Maybe we did it in this maybe together at the same time, but we never if we had, we didn't know it. So um we wanna direct everyone to the show notes for this show. And uh definitely if you can drop in any of the quotes about the um you said it was the global space balloon challenge, is that what yep. it's called?
1: No, that, that was what it was part of. Um and then the presentation today was part of uh Massachusetts computer using educators. Um uh, education evolution event. So, share some of those. I'll share the uh, links to the videos uh, because I think they're they're really interesting. And as you you know, as you start to circle around, uh, if you can do it on a smartphone, um, it's it's really something special.
0: Man, that is just so fantastic. Well, we want to direct everyone to our links, which you can find at edtechsr.com/links. Uh This is episode 137, so you'll be able to see uh, all the links that we put into the show, which I'm sure we're not going to you know, be able to cover. We usually don't. Um, but you can hopefully go to the direct link to tonight's show and episode, and you'll be able to get to the ones that we do cover and address. And um, normally, and we, you know, hey, this is a podcast, man, and nobody's paying us jack to be here. This is all <laughs> fun. So we can do really whatever we want. But we are going to generally uh, take a look at some news from the past week, maybe sometimes a little older, and then just talk a little, little about that through an educational lens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I might start, actually, uh, with a little Apple news. So WWDC, the Worldwide Developer Conference, is happening now in California. And uh, yesterday, no, Monday, we had the uh, opening keynote And, uh, interestingly, we may talk about this too. There was a big Google outage that happened on, uh, Sunday. I was listening to the Twit podcast and they were wondering how that was going to overshadow things. I don't, I don't think it did. I didn't watch the whole keynote. I just, I did just catch a little bit of it, but, um, you know, I guess one of the things, I mean, new MacBook Pro, right? I mean, it's (laughs) it's crazy. The the monitor without a stand, well, the stand is a thousand dollars. Yeah. right. Right. And then, but, but I mean, I think Jason actually might have uh, the the old MacBook Pro, the trash can MacBook, which yeah. is like five or six years old or something. It's been quite a while since it's been updated. It's but now cheese grater. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean that, that the cheese grater Mac I think was that was the G5, and that mm-hmm. harkens back to you know around. Uh, 2005, probably 2004. I remember one of my bosses at Texas Tech when I was down in Lubbock, you know, had one of those things. But I mean, one of the computer, I think they talked about 28 cores. I was listening on, uh, one of my uh, Mac podcasts. I'll give a shout out to him. Uh, P- Mac power users. They interviewed Doug Brooks, who is the uh, product manager for the, for the, uh, power Mac. And, you know, he was talking about how Apple is designing for the future, right? So doing 4k video editing is not a norm for most people today, but that's what they're designing for is the future and 3d rendering and all of that. So, um, I, anyway, that of all the different articles and things I read, that whole idea of, you know, designing for the future. And you were mentioning before we got on the show, how you've been reading creativity Inc. That's about Pixar. So yeah there's a lot of great thinking there in terms of just the ways we design structures and rooms and, you know, a culture for, for interaction and for creativity.
1: Um, so anything
0: stand out for you as far as the, the, the Apple event or any of the announcements this week?
1: Um, you know, I I think, uh, I think what's catching a lot of headlines is, um, the, the mouse for the iOS devices. Um, I, I know that, you know, in my role as a, uh, Tech director, I've gotten that request a couple times. Um, I've kind of gotten used to, you know, the, the touchscreen. I do think that there are times when um, I do need more precision um, for that interaction piece. Um, but you know, generally speaking, I think the what's really interesting is um, kind of interesting on the, the price point of that new, um, the new Pro. I think what was the, the, the highest it was about a thirty-five thousand dollar machine.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's crazy.
1: You know, I I, I do appreciate the, the the thoughtfulness in terms of designing for the future. I know there's also um, a little bit of, you know, I think discomfort's the wrong word, but um, as any, you know, uh, new MacBook Pro user knows that with the USB-C, right, I think ultimately having kind of a universal port where you can connect is going to be beneficial, but that transition as many of your, uh, older devices and support technology, um, is, is not there yet. Having to have the, de- the adapter piece, um, is a bit cumbersome. Um, but I think it's, it's a lot of the little things that go into, um, being forward thinking. And I, I appreciate Apple's, um, desire to continue to design for the future to set the market. And then, you know, even when it doesn't work, the way in which they envisioned um, it doesn't seem to deter them from from trying, and they you know they hit a lot a lot more often than they miss. So I'm excited to see what what comes of it. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing you know um, what what those new developments bring, and, and particularly as as they can get those price points down. And the future becomes the present. Um, so excited Absolutely. to see you know. Well, hey, shout out to both
0: Peggy George and Scott Summer who are live in our chat room. Um, yes, I do. I've got another device so I can uh, monitor the chat. I, we haven't, well, I guess we did have chat last week. Two weeks ago, we didn't on Zoom. So anyway, shout out there. Uh, if you are joining us live, please, uh, feel free to join in the chat in the back channel. Um, one of the things I'd like to ask you about iPads a little bit because you've, your iPad one to one. And yeah. I think we're going to have some pretty significant conversations this year. We are, BYOD at our high school, and uh, have you know uh, a menagerie of uh, Chrome as well as Mac devices, and and even some Windows. Uh, we have a Windows lab still, yeah. um, and then we got a lot a lot of Chromebooks, and then some iPads. Anyway, we do, we have a lot of different devices, but nothing required. Yes, the, the link on the, the mouse functionality stood out. But the thing that I did see in the keynote, maybe it was a, a replay, but it had to do with accessibility. You know, Apple mm-hmm. has always been exceptional with regard to accessibility and just building it in for everyone. Mm-hmm. And the thing that was amazing in this video I saw was how you could use your voice to control the screen and then you could say, Something like you know, show the numbers. And for instance, on a Google Map, it would divide the the uh, screen into the different numbers, and then you could say five. And so it would be like you're tapping on that, and that really seemed like wow, what a what a great idea in terms of wanting somebody who. Is impaired or, or you know challenged in some way as far as physical touch being able to use their voice to command, and I definitely you know with i've had some trouble actually recently with my google home assistant home, but overall. You know, and then with Siri all the time on my phone i 'm using my voice more than ever as an input device, so I definitely was impressed by that and it 's good to see Apple continue to lead that that charge um, I think overall though on the pro stuff i don't don 't think that 's going to be affecting us in in education and schools, <laughs> but what it hopefully is going to do is to continue to carve out a space for pro users. I think a lot of people since the the Mac pro line, you know, hadn't been updated, you know, have moved to, you know, Dell precision workstations and, and other, you know, windows machines. Um, and so anyway, I, I'm glad to see that kind of support. Um, as I think they said in that podcast, maybe, maybe for, for those of us that love the Mac, we may not be using that, you know, super, pro, high end pro machine, but it's also kind of, you know, cool that it's there and you know that that. That power and that possibility is there. And certainly the idea of designing for the future that reminds of, you know, Wayne Gretzky. He doesn't skate to the puck. He, he skates, skated to where the puck was going to be. And that's part of what we're continually challenged to do in schools and in educational technology specifically is, you know, trying to anticipate how things are changing and then, and then moving. Are, are you, where are you guys? How long have you had the iPads and, and where are you today with your thinking about, I guess, satisfaction, happiness and, and overall you know, are you getting to do what you want to do and your teachers want to do with the devices that you have?
1: Yeah, I, I think, um, having the uh, Mac infrastructure across the board, um, so where all of our teachers have, uh, uh, MacBooks themselves, uh, the students are, um, one-to-one iPad sixth generation. Um, I think that we just did a massive refresh, um, last, um, Summer, actually. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think there was ever really serious consideration with going for another device in part because of our infrastructure, but also I think that, that Apple really responded to the pressure that was coming from Chromebooks, um, and, and got their price point on the most recent device, um, down to something that, that districts could swallow for, for a case. It's about, uh, I think the, the number is 294, um, for, Um, a device when you, you buy in 10. If, you know, combined with the Logitech rugged combo case, I think that's the name of it. Um, I've got one in in my bag. Um, You know, while it's expensive, um, I I just fell in love and I wish, I wish we had the resources to be able to provide that type of case for, for everybody. We were able to do it at the elementaries Um, because then, then you get what, what is, I think is a really, um, you get the best of both worlds. You get the feel of a laptop, but with that detachable keyboard with the high end media that you're able to create with the Apple devices. Um It's just, it's just really wonderful. Yeah. Um,
0: if you could drop the the link later into the show notes for that, I'd love to see that. And I know Carl Hooker, who's down in Eanes ISD, I think their last refresh, they also went with a Bluetooth keyboard and have found that to be, you know, great.
1: So, well, well, this is interesting because, um, it's not actually a Bluetooth keyboard. It plugs, the case plugs into the lightning, um, port. Really? And okay. then it, it has those, uh, excuse my lack of memory, but it has those three prongs that connect in that's on the pro. What's that piece called that's on the iPad that the, um, shoot, I'm drawing a blank on it. But anyhow, the, um, the, the keyboard's connected directly in through the case. So it's, you don't have to worry about Bluetooth where you've got 30 kids in the classroom oh, nice. trying to connect to it. It's hardwired, direct connection. Um, you know, it was worked really well for, for our state testing at the elementary level. Not that that's the focus. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're really satisfied. Um, you know, I wish the, the repair process was a little bit less, uh, costly. We haven't been able to find a, uh, a lot of companies do a really good job. Um, overall with the repair with the glass, I think that's our biggest challenge. Um, but no company that, that consistently produces the quality of what Apple comes back to. And, um, as we, you know, may have to recycle these devices to give to another student as, you know, transfers happen, um, you know, we're going through Apple for, for all of our, our repairs. Um, so again, we've been really satisfied and I think it goes back to, something we were talking about at, at the top of the hour before we get started um, Apple to me is it really much like Disney focuses on the user experience right they try to continually create the optimal experience they're always iterating and even when um, you know the the public reaction well well this new latest iOS didn't really have that many significant upgrades if you take a step back those and look at it over a longitudinal scale, um, it's really significant in terms of how they've been continually responding to the market. I've got a session that I'm running with some uh students, uh tomorrow elementary students, um, but talking about just screencasting and a feature that wasn't possible, you know, a couple of years ago on the device. Um and then the, the clips, I don't know if you've played with, with Apple clips. That's a really user-friendly uh media component that, you know, I think we could, we're going to find out tomorrow, but even kindergartners can use. And the, spe- um, the speech to text on that, I, I used oh, that yeah.
0: for the first time at the Atlas conference yep. a couple years ago. And uh, that technology is phenomenal, right? Yep. The, the ability, um, and it's not every language and it's not going to be every accent and everything. But it certainly gives you a pretty amazing start at a transcription to then go in and edit. And again, accessibility, right? You know, if we were all working at a university, um, or we're publishing content, depending upon funding and whatnot, I mean, there are mandates for, for accessibility. So these are, these are really big things that we need to keep in mind. And it's awesome that Apple tools are, you know, allow us to create with that kind of, of accessibility, um, you know, built in.
1: Well, and I think another piece of it, speaking of accessibility, one of the things that we're um, encountering in, in my district is we're seeing, like many districts across the country, uh, increase in students whose first language is not English uh, coming to us from different parts of the world. Um, and what I like about the iPad is that, you know, you can set it up in, in different languages. I just wish we could find it. Maybe it's a, it's a lack of knowledge on my part, but, um, Still trying to find ways to set up the device, um, so that students have access to it both in their, their native language and in English as we're trying to develop those skills, uh, particularly with, with websites and trying to find a, an app that, that works well for, you know, translation. Um, we've got a, a significant number of students who are coming from uh, Portuguese speaking countries. The apps that have been provided, particularly, um, let's say that are password protected. Um, haven't been able to get translated, so we're running into some obstacles there. Um, but I think that hopefully is kind of the next, uh, accessibility piece. If we could, if they could ever find a way for the devices, particularly with all the investment that they're doing for, for education to, uh, support, you know, non-native speaker, non-native speaking students, um, to kind of get the best of both worlds, particularly with, with digital, uh, web content.
0: Okay, a couple of the things from the chat room and then from the from the Apple event. Um, Scott points out that he says iPad OS is going to be big, especially to have a desktop version of Safari for iPad will give Chromebooks some competition, Um, you know, and definitely the return on investment and how long you're keeping these devices. Yeah. You know, we've invested in Chromebooks uh, and just, you know. It is attractive when you look at price points. But how long do you keep these things and how long do they work really well for you? Uh that's a critical question. And then um, uh, Peggy's shopping for a new iPad. <clears throat> I'm I'm using um one of the new, you know, brand brand new uh USB C only, you know, speakers on both sides. It's like a yeah. thousand dollar iPad uh with with the uh, Apple Pencil too. Um, and so we had uh, some of our teachers actually pilot this with the idea of, hey, would this be a desktop or a laptop replacement? Um, and and our conclusion overall, my conclusion, I'll speak for myself, you know, is that for our teachers who are who are used to a laptop, we did not pair this with a either a Bluetooth keyboard or a keyboard like you're describing, you know, that just plugs in. We did provide a separate. Um, did we, I think? I think we Yeah, we I don't think we did. We had talked about getting that new keyboard that's the the fold on keyboard and everything that's yeah. sold with it. Anyway, I'm not convinced at this point because this is like a thousand dollar iPad. I think it's gonna be a, a challenging shift if if a teacher's just kind of in a one off situation uh trying to think, oh, maybe I can give up my laptop and, and switch to this. I think if all your students are using iPad, there's a lot to be said for teachers having the same device. Uh, so At least in the same device family, maybe not the same model, but, you know, if your kids all have iPads, obviously teachers all need to have iPads and they need to be creating on those devices. Um, So, yes, Peggy, this this is an iPad Pro um, and, you know, the memory and the capabilities of this. And it's just it's stunning. I mean, I honestly really love the face ID, but those things are kind of. I, you know, icing on the cake, it, it's not really a core feature. So today, because we're making recommendations for a couple faculty this summer that are just chomping at the bit to start producing content and, and, and creating videos, especially in high school, we're changing our schedule and there's going to be a change in how much instructional time, et cetera. You know, my recommendation has been the Wi-Fi only iPad, 128 gigs of RAM, uh, or, sorry, 128 gig uh, storage uh, to be able to have enough room, you know, for that video content. Um, But then getting the the generation one Apple pencil and, and then the explain everything app. That's, that's Mm -hmm. the one, you know, creation app on the iPad. I mean, the the Apple pencil too. I think that the one is just as magical as far as being able to draw on everything. Mm -hmm. But it is nice that, of course, I don't have a case that, that does this, but uh, I have to take the case off. But I mean, it's, it's cool that you can just put it right on there and it's, it's magnetic the weirdest, the thing that the most unApple thing about the Apple gener, uh, Pencil Generation One is, you you actually take a cap off and stick it in the end, which makes you feel like, I mean, this thing is a, is going to break. I haven't had a break, but anyway, uh, Peggy, I'd recommend you just go with a with a thirty two or one hundred twenty eight gig, you know, mm-hmm. Wi Fi only um, standard iPad and get an Apple Pencil. Um, I think, well, educationally, it's about three hundred dollars. I think. With the discount, you might be able to get it for a little less than 320 or something like that. And the pencil is going to set you back, you know, 90, 90 bucks or 100 bucks or something like that. Um, but I definitely, for me, it's, I, I had a chance with one of our math teachers, uh, last week because we do a week of professional development after and meetings after school's done and uh we've had several different math teachers at different levels uh go ahead and make the change from a smartboard to an iPad and you, one of, one of them is using the the smartboard app cuz she has a lot in the smart notebook application but most are using Explain Everything and i just it is so fun to be able to show them and have them experience the the precision of the apple pencil and the being you know being able to mark stuff up whether they're you're doing live teaching or you want to record it is just really, really amazing. And I think we we are very biased today towards the keyboard, and we tend to think that, you know, that's it. That's what everybody's got to have. But, I mean, especially if you're teaching math, but even if you're teaching other things, being able to use a stylus, uh, of course, that adds cost as well, um, as well as your voice and these things. The, these are important parts of the computing environment. But for our teachers today, uh, where we're not iPad one-to-one, I think the iPad is a powerful tool, but I don't see it at this point as a laptop replacement. I think we're still, I'm still continuing to create most of my content um, on, an, on a laptop. Um, it just depends, you know, some things lend themselves better to the iPad, but I'm also not, you know, I don't have a keyboard on my iPad, so that would be a little different if if I did, so.
1: Well, so I think you bring up a really good point with the, the smart board comparison because uh, it's something we've been really reflecting on. Um particularly with with the cost of the investment in SmartBoards, um, what you could provide to not only the teachers but the students if, if you're not in a one-to-one district. Um, one of my personal challenges with SmartBoard is that it's a can be a passive technology for the rest of the students who are not up at it um, versus, uh, you know, with, let's say, a tablet or an iPad with explain everything, the collaboration feature. The real time collaboration feature in the, uh, the, the annual subscription explain everything is just, uh, mind blowing. Um, and now, now we've got a situation, particularly you pair with an Apple TV. Um, students can show their screen or if you're on the, you know, the explain everything collaboration piece, you know, you, you're, you're working on a problem in real time. Um, if, if it were totally up to me, and I know everybody's got their, their preferences and they, they've built in their practice. Um, I, I think, you know, talk about looking towards the future. That's the way to go. Um, I have a, 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 um, a cousin who worked in um, video game tech, one of the bigger firms. Um, and he was talking about how he was going to different um, schools for his son. And uh, some of the schools were promoting smart boards. And he kind of he looked at me confused as telling the story. He's like, you know, I'm in a high tech company and we have no use for these smart boards. Like nobody... Well, it works like this. Well
0: here's the truth. Why st- is it such a selling point? Here's the true story. We've uh we've got a few um old smart boards that are uh in a in an annex building and uh, we probably should have sold those you know five years ago. Um, the resellers we've been talking to are like now there's just pretty much no value to these at all. Um so you know if we were to go down that pathway and we definitely have you know peer schools doing that we're looking at you know more interactive touch televisions, but sometimes those are Android, you know, based, et cetera. So it's gonna be interesting. We've made a sizable investment um, in Apple TVs. And mm-hmm. yeah. uh you know, being able to be untethered wherever you want to be in your room, uh just the pedagog the pedagogical benefit of that, of being able to be anywhere in the room with your students, not fixed at, at the front or the back, yeah. that's tremendous. And I, I love that liberating power. And so I think, you know, that will certainly be something that I'll share as we talk about our different options and what we should look at, at using and doing. Um, I want to pick up two more uh, Apple articles and then we can jump jump sure. to something else. Um, Microsoft demonstrated My, Minecraft Earth at WWDC. I did get to see part of that demo and uh... that is like pokemon go so we're thinking augmented reality but it's Minecraft and it's being able to build not only yourself, but also collaboratively. But you're seeing those things through the lens of your iPad or the screen of your iPad or your, your iPhone. I really personally don't think AR is going to take off that much until it really gets into the glasses and becomes much more natural rather than we're holding up our screens. But you know, Pokemon Go is a huge craze and Minecraft has a, has a pretty big following. And so that's going to be pretty interesting to see where that goes and it may i mean i don't know we'll have to see what the you know ios requirement is in terms of hardware for running that um, but that might be a pretty cool thing to do at school we're doing different minecraft education uh projects and stuff like that and and being able to build something in physical space you know on the school campus you know and, and thinking about that that's anyway that that reminds a little bit about sort of ready player one and you know the merging of the the virtual You know, with the physical. And then there was one other article we put in this week for Apple. This is a TechCrunch article on June 4th. Um, With antitrust investigations looming, Apple reverses course on bans of parental control apps. And this is a pretty big thing as far as digital citizenship. I know I've heard from some of our parents who have used different apps. Um, and this is interesting, right? Because as a school or an enterprise, we deploy mm-hmm. mobile device management in order to have control and monitoring over devices. And so companies have used that same technology to enable parents to do that. But of course, everybody's not necessarily a responsible parent who's doing that kind of stuff. And so there's, there's all kinds of issues with people, um, you know, using, Using those kinds of technologies for uh, spying and harassment and and other things like that, and heh, it's really interesting because the the antitrust stuff, you know, is tell is 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 arguing that Apple's a monopoly and this monopolistic control over the store. Yet I, there's a an important case to be made that Apple's control over their store is one of the reasons why iOS remains so <laughs> secure. And you know we've got some articles under the security. Title, you know, this week that we can talk about as far as Android and those kind of things. So any, any comments about those? Are, are you a Minecrafter or do you have uh, Minecraft uh, students at school?
1: Yeah, tons of students at school. I am not a Minecrafter uh, myself I have a immense respect for uh, Steve Isaacs and the work that he does. Um, you know, there, there are just so many different avenues we could go down. That would be a worthwhile one. I just haven't, I guess i have more focused on Raspberry Pi work. Um, with students, uh, but have, you know, just a lot of respect for that work. I, I tend to agree with you with, with AR. Um, we're just, we're not quite there yet. Um, but if we merge the two, if we can start building worlds immersive or helping students to build immersive worlds within, uh, let's say, Minecraft, where they're exploring through goggles, uh, you know, going back to the um, uh, story with the Education Evolution event, you know, the experience of seeing something in 360, being able to look around. I just remember uh, as a kid, the first time I played Mario 64 and we weren't running in lines. We were running in, in space um, was just, you know, mind blowing. And you know, we were talking about at the beginning time of the hour, the experience. Right. Um, when we get to the point where it's truly a transformational experience, more so than, I guess, kind of kitschy. Um I think that's when you're really going to see the power of of AR um, to, to transform the learning experience. A lot, lot, just a lot of cool stuff, um, but I, I think it's a little bit more um, entertaining. And then once the kids have seen the AR, it doesn't it lose its its value? Does the novelty? Is novelty is what's getting them right now, and then all of a sure. sudden, not as novel anymore. Well, where's the creative potential too, yeah.
0: right? Like the the uh, what's that VR cube? Um, yeah, the whatever that is. I'm not thinking of it, but right. I have a few of those. Yeah, well, it's not Erasmus, but there's a a cube. That, I don't have it. I have it. Have in my office. My at school but it's the cube and then you got the different apps you know that you can use to look at the solar system and you know be able to to look at different stuff and yeah that it's a it's a lot more like the to me the flash in the pan Ooh, look at this isn't this amazing doesn't have the depth of okay now let's go create with it and that's one of the best things of course about minecraft is being able to hey let's create let's replicate our middle school building hey let's you know build build something else collaboratively and being able to create and having that authorship in the hands of students instead of just you know it's it's like not just watching a movie you know let's make a movie let's not just watch one so
1: well i think it also is going to require faculty members to take a dive into it themselves um a lot of the work that that's that gets done with students and stuff that they're doing and they're learning on their own and they're bringing into the classroom. And you know, the teachers are amazed. Um, but uh, imagine if you had a teacher who had an understanding of of those both AR and Minecraft and can, you know, pose the questions or provide that support to help kids take it to that next level. Absolutely. Um, I think that's going to be the piece that the, the tipping point to make it really meaningful. Um, but as of right now, it's a space for kids to bring an interest into school and to, um, you know, connect content with a relevant context and to, to make school a place that feels more like, uh, relatable to them.
0: Scott Summer in the chat room points out that's the merge cube that I was trying to think of. Cube, and okay. that's a key, the key thing for administrators to have an eye for too is if what are we're doing with technology is really this fancy glitzy, you know, let's let's just get people to ooh and ah. I mean that's as bad as in the early days of the smart board where we were all like, oh parents look, we can touch it and it changes. And mm-hmm. you know, people got so carried away that I don't I don't think they were pedagogically thinking about students and and beyond the delivery model. And yes, Mm -hmm. that is exciting to see what it can do. And, and frankly, the, the bringing in the projector, I mean, that's what in many schools, the smart board heralded was the first time a reasonably decent maybe a data projector for the first time was brought into the classroom. Um, And in a lot of rooms, that is what the smart board was used for. was just basically, you know, a glorified, um, well, not glorified just an expensive projector. And that's a big deal.
1: But yeah. thinking
0: about the student experience, back then, I mean, you were talking about that before we started the student experience. What is the student experience? How does AR today, you know, change the student experience? And, you know, our goal is not to enthrall students and not to entertain them. It is to engage them and to inspire them and to help provide experiences that they have to, you know, broaden their horizons, get their minds, you know, stretched. And, you know, ask questions and then want to want to do stuff. You know, what was it? What did you say about real work? I like that quote. I mean, uh, real work that
1: matters, right?
0: Real work that matters. Right. Yeah. yeah. How do we do that?
1: Well, and and also, you know, I want to throw a shout out to, to Dan Ryder, who talks about, you know, no more dumpster projects. Right. How do we avoid the project where we have, you know, community comes in and then takes a look at the projects. Um, and then, you know, within, 20 minutes, or at the end of the day, everything ends up, you know, in in the dumpster behind the school. Um, what was really nice is I was walking out of uh, or dismissal at the high school, um, and I saw these kids holding basically brown paper bagged, wrapped, um, you know, parcels. And I was trying to figure out what it was, and it was all of their artwork for the year, mm-hmm. all with their name on it. And the kids were taken home, and I, you know, I didn't see any of them. In the dumpster, they were all proud to take it back. They were going to, you know, either keep it or hang it up. And and how do we have more opportunities for students to to take that home and feel the same way about that, whatever the piece of work it is that they're working on?
0: My eighteen-year-old, who's finishing her gap year, commented at dinner tonight about the the high school that that she needs to throw away. You know, all these folders and things like that. So I love, yeah, that that's a I love that no dumpster no dumpster projects. So we got a couple other topics. Uh we've got about 20 more minutes or so if we you know stick with about an hour. So uh tech correction, privacy, China censorship, security, any of those uh grab your attention and you want to dive into um, next?
1: Yeah, I, I uh I'm I'm happy to dive into any of them the the, the tech correction jumped out um you know, particularly, uh, you had the, the YouTube bans on uh, neo-Nazi and Holocaust denial videos and a push against hate speech. That was really interesting. Um, particularly because I've been, um, been a big fan of Mike Caulfield's work, um, at Holden on Twitter. Uh, and I think he's doing yeoman's work in the public square to help, uh, teachers, uh, both at the K-12 and at the higher ed level, um, uh, work with students on information literacy, um, and, and how to navigate, uh, these types of spaces. Uh, I, I linked in the show notes. It's the second link, but the, uh, curation and search radicalization spiral. Um, and, and it talks about how, you know, once you get into these spaces that, um, have quite a bit of, of hate speech, um, they start using terms or phrases or, or very, uh, cherry picked, um, framing that uh seems subtle and harmless on on the basis but you know when people start using some of the search terms that are embedded uh they're not actually academic terms and it only links you to other hate sites so then you end up going down these spirals of uh of of links that that engage in confirmation bias and it starts to to take um people who wouldn't ordinarily be you know, people you would think become radicalized start spending time in these spaces and they get these reinforced messages where they think they're actually doing research, but they're actually getting linked back to the same groups, the same sites all over again. Um, and I think uh, the, the SIFT approach that he talks about in the, uh, the first link, um, you know, I, I think is, is really useful for. Uh, teachers and students for just any sort of web navigation. Um, you know, when you're, you're introduced to a piece of text or information. So SIS stands for stop, then investigate the source. So who, who is it that's providing me with this information? Um, is there a way the F in SIFT is to find better coverage? Is there another source that can, um, you know, is improved or has more, uh, validity or reliability that has, has a better reputation, um, and then as you're going through the source, can you trace the claims, the quotes, and the media backs to the original context? Because as as Mike points out, oftentimes um, articles are based off of the links in earlier articles, and sometimes we don't spend enough time going back and tracing the the quotes and the context in which the quotes came from, or if you know the quote within the the article is actually you know, reliable to begin with. Um, so it's much like w- Wikipedia, the power is in the footnotes. And how do you figure out, you know, how do you separate the, um, the reality versus the cherry picked? Uh, and I think that this process and a lot of the work that he's doing is an incredibly uh, valuable resource to build, um, you know, not just digital citizens, but, um, you know, both analog and digital citizens. So please, please check out his work. Um it it's really fantastic.
0: Dave, you may have been the person that put me on to him. I think you were. And that became huge in the uh Atlas workshop I put together on filtering the X yeah, flood yeah. and media literacy. Phenomenal, you know, textbook and part of the what the digital uh polarization project yeah, Yep, he's working with, lots of universities. Um I think it's worth reading some quotes from this article. This is from Ars Technica um what yesterday on the on June fifth says, quote, this is the YouTube uh, statement. Today, we're taking another step in our hate speech policy by specifically prohibiting videos alleging that a group is superior in order to justify discrimination, segregation or exclusion based on qualities like age, gender, race, caste, religion, sexual orientation or veteran status. YouTube's announcement said, quote, this would include, for example, videos that promote or glorify Nazi ideology, which is inherently discriminatory. Finally, we will remove content. Uh, denying that well-documented violent events like the Holocaust or the shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary took place. This is freaking huge. I mean, we have had folks yelling for and, and advocating and doing everything possible to try to get, you know, Google and YouTube to make decisions about content. And they've been, you know, embarrassed, as they should be, uh, with the, you know, pedophile, you know, thing that was a, a – a couple of months ago, as far as, you know, pedophiles using videos of young kids and and the comments and, you know, the ways in which the algorithm itself can just spin you into a dark place. Mm-hmm. And so later in the article, they talk about how YouTube employees really push their executives to take action. And, uh, Hey man, this also speaks to voice, right? We talk about student voice. This is employee voice at Mm -hmm. Google, right? Thank you. You know, YouTube and Google employees for speaking out. Thanks to everybody who's been speaking out about this because it is a, it's a huge move for YouTube to, you know, be gatekeeping content in this way. And, um, this is the world that we live in. You know, I think people have had this ideal idealized vision that, you know, we we should just not have, you know, any kind of content censorship at all and the world will be beautiful and glorious. Well, the algorithms which have been created by YouTube programmers are optimized for attention. That's why autoplay is on by default. You have to turn it off. And one of the things all this reminds me of, and I'm definitely going to check out the links for SIFT and and that search radicalization spiral. I've just been doing some reading. I think this is Noah Harari's 21 Lessons for uh, the 21st Century. Yeah. You know, we are so... Uh, filled today with headlines that are that are designed to grab us emotionally yes. you know and get us to just share a headline and i'm reminded that and i think this is perhaps in that in that book or in some other places i've been reading you know the early days of the blogosphere which i know peggy and scott and others who are listening i mean you had to be more thoughtful you you put something out on your blog there wasn't twitter there wasn't facebook uh, you took ownership for that, but then you would, you know, generally include links, and the velocity of sharing was at a was was much slower. And I think that's actually a challenge that we have today. And like you're talking about with Sift, if it starts with stop, you know, uh, I think Mike Caulfield also talks about click restraint, and I've heard mm-hmm. of literacy folks talk about that. Like when you are being emotionally grabbed by something, yeah. when you are responding. That's probably by design. Somebody mm-hmm. is wanting you to respond in that way. And so being able to hit a pause button, be more thoughtful, slow, you know, basically let off of the accelerator. This is something that we're going to have to really work on because the information landscape that we're in is highly biased, highly prejudiced against deep thinking, against uh, slow, consideration of ideas. And it is really, and, and I'm actually trying to work on this just myself personally, because I have found myself reading so little long form work and just more, you know, skimming stuff. Uh, and it's a, it's a brain thing, right? I think we really are going to have to take control of our brains and not, you know, just fall, fall prey to this. Hey, let's, let's look at headlines. Hey, let's just, you know, let our brains be be fed with all this not this information and get these endorphins um, because we're not going to be doing the kind of quality thinking which we need to be doing as, as educators and citizens if we're falling prey to all that in the social media landscape. So how, how do you deal
1: so, with so all of that? I think that there's a, I have a couple thoughts here. Um, number one, you know, going back to Mike's work, is that um, the habit, he, it was originally SIFT is a, a, an extension of the four moves in a habit. Uh, the habit is if anything strikes you emotionally, which you're going back to, but I think a lot of times we think of that as like negative emotions, gets me angry. Um, but also if something gets me happy, right? I think that's a time to really pump the brakes and that should set off an alarm that you need to read it more carefully. Um, I think secondly, going to your point about long form and thinking and deliberative, I, I think of, uh, the book Thinking Fast and Slow, our system one versus system two. Analogy of the system one's kind of that that rapid processing. Uh, system two is that that deep thinking, which our brains really don't want to do. It's hard. It's energy consuming. Um, we avoid it at all costs by nature. So we're not just focusing on, um, you know, it's not just a, necessarily a tech problem. It's a, it's a human problem, an awareness problem. I think it was Dan Willingham who wrote. You know, it's not that um, students are more distracted them before it's just that the you know if you got a laptop in your your classroom the the threshold that it takes to go find something else has just been lowered it's it's a lot easier to to get that uh next uh endorphin hit from something that you like a little bit better um i think the last point i wanted to make going back to this um uh this this google uh this youtube decoration i kind of want to link in facebook here in a minute um you know, it's based on a conversation I had at the Connected Learning Summit. I think it was two falls ago with a, a gentleman from from Germany. We we're just talking about free speech, and one interesting observation he made is that the while European countries, particularly Germany, values free speech, it can't come at the expense of human dignity, right? And that's that's the core value that they trump more. And it's good to see that um, YouTube is taking steps to. Uh, first address that human dignity piece um, so that free speech is not weaponized. I know it's, it's a really uh, challenging line to, to figure out where the censorship is uh, in terms of trying to suppress, um, you know, suppressing free speech to continue oppression versus human dignity. Uh, that's a, it's a really difficult space to navigate. Um but I think it's an important thing to consider when we're we're discussing this topic, um, and I think this also ties into the, you know the the Pelosi video that Facebook um, continued to post, even with the caveats of well, we're going to let people make up their own mind uh, on this topic, and uh, you know I, I don't know if you've discussed this on, on a previous episode of the show. Um, oh, I'm curious on your thoughts to that that policy and. You know, particularly in the context of what we're talking about with System 1 and System 2, you know, that fast-thinking, confirmation-biased uh, nature that we have as humans versus you know doing that deeper read into, hey, we're going to put a warning up here with the big video that's going to capture your attention and reinforce your beliefs. We're going to leave that up. But any, any thoughts on on that, particularly in light of what YouTube just decided to do?
0: Well, in our second hour, we'll be taking our... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Um, with, with just about...
0: Two minutes left. No, no, it's, so I'm very pessimistic about, uh, elections in 2020. I think we've only begun to see the poisonous produce of the weaponization of social media. I don't think that we've taken the steps that need to be taken. I think that some of the basic assumptions of platforms like YouTube and Facebook that basically just grant any of us the opportunity to publish an, an unlimited quantity of video on their, their platform, um, actually needs to be questioned. And I'm not saying like the open web is, is bad, but you know, when I put up a blog post or if I put up a video that I'm hosting, that's very different in its potential virality than content which is put onto YouTube or put onto Facebook. And I really think this is an example of where there's, there's a lot of unintended consequences that are happening now and, The, the, um, the negative effects of these things, again, I'm, I'm coming off of reading Noah Harari, who really is saying that we need to, you know, perhaps rethink, uh, you know, governance and, and, uh, some of the basic assumptions that we make, uh, about liberal democracy in terms of people being able to be autonomous and, and not being manipulated, et cetera. Um. I think that we're going to need to question those and I'm fearful of government regulation, you know, the idea of the government coming in and deciding, you know, what speech to allow. But I, I think that it is it, this decision by YouTube and Google uh, to, to take out this content is, is very good. You know, we saw Apple, I don't know, six months ago or a, a good while back, you know, take Infowars and, and some of that content off their platform. If you're a con, if you're a platform owner and creator, uh, you have some responsibility for what occurs on your platform. Uh, that, what was this podcast I listened to? This was a fantastic one off to see if I, I've got my history in my, my pocket cast because this was a, a law professor who was talking about, you know, the, the, um, well, it's basically, uh, the, the provisions of U.S. law, which said, you know, platforms are not responsible mm. for their content. And so they're saying the people, the people that say regulation, you know, isn't, um, you know, needed or whatever. I mean, it's actually regulation that has, has allowed a lot of this to happen because if we didn't have that law, um, OK, here it is. This is the Reason podcast, which I think is a pretty li- it's a libertarian, you know, leaning uh, podcast, which is fine. I, I mean, I like to hear things from all all different you know, aspects of the political spectrum. But the title is why Insta pundit Glenn Reynolds thinks Twitter, Facebook and Google should be busted up. And so one of the points that he makes in this in this podcast is that it's that part of the law, which is letting them off the hook entirely in the United States. And so. Um, you know, he's making the case that those platforms and the virality of the content that's shared there, it's it, you know, has just really amped up the velocity which, which with which things are shared and the you know environment that we have where clickbait and headlines and, and videos and there was a really great video that the Verodiceum, um if I'm saying that right uh creator um, did about thumbnails and just the ways that the algorithms in YouTube are, they're just, it's just making it more and more clickbaity, you know? And so if you're going to want to get to a million plus views or whatever, which how many of us are doing that, but anyway, for those people that are creating that kind of content, we have a long way to go and we have important stuff to figure out. Um, So I think this is an important thing to share with students, to take that back to the classroom and educational level. Like we got some really big problems to figure out and we've got really, really smart people. In fact, I think you could say, you know, the smartest and best paid programmers in the world are working on all this stuff, trying to figure it out. They're not able to do that. And so we're going to need to continue to engage and our voices are important. Whether we are speaking as citizens, we're speaking as shareholders, um, yeah, so that's a long answer, but it's it, it's a mess. I don't think that we have seen the depth that we're going to to see with regard to the weaponization of these platforms and we we need we need smart uh, ethical folks who are not only in places of elective office and officials who are making those decisions, but are who are working for companies who are writing the code. Um, and we've got roles to play as citizens too. So it's exciting that you were taking kids to the state house today, right? Being yeah. involved, being connected, because we, we really, we need our need to have our voices heard and we need to, to speak out about this stuff because uh, laissez-faire is not, you know, look at the nation of Haiti, if you want to see, I don't know. I mean, there's, that's not a perfect analogy, but I just, it's such a dramatic as the poorest country in the hemisphere, which used to be beautiful with mahogany wood and everything else. You know, it's just, it's horrible. There's a lot of stuff that happened there that led to that, but you know, we need to be regulating people's behavior at some level. Uh, And I think that we, we in the United States and perhaps globally uh, have some important thinking uh, to do about that because, and this isn't a political show, but, you know, we've we've uh, we've had a lot of we've had some some folks really demonize the idea of regulation and government. And, you know, in in the case specifically of what we're talking about with the we- with the weaponization of social media and the ways that these platforms are arguably destroying democracy. If you haven't seen the Carol Caldwell TED talk that she gave about a month ago in Silicon Valley with Larry Page and Sergey Brin in the room and I think I think Zuckerberg and um who's his uh came over from Yahoo um number two at Facebook. Chamber. You know uh who, Yes. Uh I think that's right. Um you know she she says that you know Brexit was the worst electoral fraud in over a hundred years in England. They 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 passed laws to stop people from taking you know luggage and, and, and and suitcases full of money and just giving it out to people and the ways in which, um, their, their electoral system, uh, was, was broken by social media and the ability to have all of this targeted advertising, you know, hidden from public view, et cetera, that they got to step up because they, they've created monsters that are, uh, threatening the core foundations of liberal democracy. That's some pretty big allegations. So it's a good TED talk to look at and definitely something good to, I mean, if we can touch it, right. Cause all this polarization can feel like an electric fence at school that, okay, we're just, we don't want to touch that. We may not talk about that. You know, parents are going to be upset we've got to find ways to have civil dialogue around these issues um and we need to we need to grapple with these things because they're they're real issues out there so. and
1: that, and that's you know one of the things and this comes back to the whole aspect of, of citizenship and again digital or analog or however you want to frame it is that um you know when we talk about regulation and government um if we allow government to be this alien body that that's out of our control and we just you know use it as uh a means of of either blame or just uh, abstraction um yeah then that that's a problem but government what we drill down is really us and either we abdicate that responsibility to be active within the governance of you know the, the hard work of, of self-governing um or we don't and we we oftentimes get the government that we deserve when we're not fully engaged with it Um, You know, so if if we're having a a problem with with government, I think we need to take a a long, hard look in the mirror and and ask ourselves to what extent are we contributing to that that challenge? Um, Because when when functioning properly, we would take an active role and, and, uh, you know, it wouldn't be this alien entity.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Peggy George asked for the link to that Ted talk. Um, it's called Carol Caldwaller, Facebook's role in Brexit and the threat to democracy. That was from Ted talks in April 2019. And, uh, we included that in episode 132 from April the 24th. Definitely worth checking out. I think we may need to go just a slight bit past the top of the hour. This has been a great conversation. And, um, you know, we've barely, barely scratched yeah. the surface. Um, I think, let's see, I want to, there's a couple more things we'll just, we'll just mention. Them. We'll just have to do some geeks of the week and get out of here. Um, China, Tiananmen Square. This is massive, right? So this is the 30-year anniversary of Tiananmen Square. And I dropped a couple links in here um, from the BBC. June 3rd, Tiananmen's Tank Man, the image that China forgot. Uh, the reporter there is taking some incredible risks with a laptop walking around. And I don't know if he was in Beijing or Shanghai or where he was. You know, showing this image and folks that did not recognize it, but also perhaps people that got angry. How dare you? You know, how dare you share that? Going to the university and students did know about that, but um, probably the most censored image in the world. And that whole incident of, you know, those in Tiananmen Square who opposed the massacre that took place. Um, There's another article called Tiananmen Square, the moment a student leader returns for the first time. Um, we got really interesting stuff that's hard to decipher, you know, happening right now with Huawei and uh, 5G and and the federal government um, and our current administration, trade war. I dropped a Business Insider article from June 1st saying Huawei has reportedly stopped several smartphone production lines after U.S. blacklist amidst trade war. Concerns over espionage and the ways in which, you know, next generation 5G networks may be um, You know, tapped by their manufacturer if, you know, if China, Chinese devices are the ones that are permitted to uh, be, be installed. Here's my big thought on Tiananmen and surveillance overall, okay? There should be some significant differences, not only in what we teach in school, but in what what our policies are and what our advocacy is for in the United States of America when it comes to surveillance technologies and when it comes to, you know, issues of privacy and freedom of expression. Um, We need to make sure that students today know about Tank Man, that they know about Tiananmen Square. The Chinese government continues to hold power and to advance a very different uh, agenda of political rights and freedoms than we have in the United States and that are part of the the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And we need to remember how heavily censored China is. We've mentioned this on the show. And the fact that our podcasts, even now, these videos are probably are being transcribed, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I hope I get to travel in China again. And I I don't want to impede and and, and harm myself and my ability to travel there, you know, because I have talked about the Uyghur minority population in Western China and the ways in which they're being oppressed, you know, because of satellite imagery, we we believe the West believes there's there's thousands and thousands, uh, I think, if not. Well, I'll say thousands. I don't know if it's, if it's millions. There's a lot of people that are in relocation and education camps in China today and in that, in that western province of China. Um, it is the most repressive and oppressive um, surveillance environment that I think exists anywhere in the world today. And there was one other article I put in under privacy, and I got this from mm. the, this week in tech. Uh, this is from the Associated Press on June 1st. The U.S. is now seeking social media details from all visa applicants. And this is past or present, right? Any account that you've ever had. So what is this going to do in terms of chilling speech for immigrants who might have something to say about the United States of America? Um, I think that, that the, the issues here are, are really important. And certainly from an educational standpoint and thinking about technology, uh, we need to have our students be aware of the great firewall of China, the ways in which, you know, freedom is restricted. And this is also part of citizenship, right? We have rights and we have responsibilities as citizens. And a really important part of digital citizenship is student voice. And it's the opportunity to responsibly and appropriately and hopefully respectfully you know, express your ideas and advocate for the kinds of changes that you'd like to see in your community, in your state, and in your world, these are all important. And I think the 30-year anniversary of Tiananmen Square should be a good reminder to all of us about the importance of talking about these issues. End of rant. Comments?
1: <laughs> um, it, you know, it, it brings to mind um, some of the subtler things that are going on within uh, U.S. education, Bill Fitzgerald had a post about how, um, one school had imp- uh, imposed facial recognition software and under the guise of security and safety, we're just trying to, I think, and again, I, I didn't, I, forgive me for not reading the article, but I think, you know, it was it a was, uh, justification for stopping criminals, right? And then all of a sudden now, now everybody's uh, facial recognition is, is in the building and to what end and, and to, you know, they're just using it for safety for now. Um, I think, you know, there was another article in Ed Week about how uh, companies are, have been um, founded to the, that have uh, used AI to scan social media accounts of students with trigger words and kids have been flagged for um, you know, Using, uh, I think, what was the example in Ed Week? I think the, um, uh, let's see, uh, using the reference, I, 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 would die for you, uh, the comic book artist wrote, and then, you know, taking that quote out of context, it flagged, flagged students' uh, social media account, caused a big brouhaha. Um, I, I think that there is, we need to have a better awareness of, of what's going on. Um, I, you know, I want to assume that these companies are are well-intentioned, um, but I also think that there's a market for profiteering off of the nerves of, um, of schools. And I think, you know, you had another article in there about ransomware, what was in Baltimore. Um, we had a a city, I think it was Lemonster up in Massachusetts that had, um, you know, had to pay $10,000 to get his website unlocked. Um, so how much is the, uh, the use of fear being leveraged to, uh, provide protection, uh, to use the old mafia, mafia term. Um, but what we're really doing is we're, we're, we're seeding our rights in small ways, um, that we're, we're not cognizant of. And what are the long-term impacts of these, of these decisions that we're, we're agreeing to? Um, you know, it's just. Uh, I think there's just a, a lot of, of lack of awareness. So, what happens to your DNA when it's swabbed with, for 23andMe? Right? We totally talked about that the last time we were together, um, but it, it's it's something we, we've. I don't think adults are aware of it, so we can't pass it on to kids. And then the question is, you know, there are some folks with the the perception of, well, what does it matter? Right, you know, it's
0: sure.
1: oh, yeah, yeah, it's my discardables, right?
0: I'm not doing anything, not doing anything illegal, so what's yeah? The it, it
1: provides me free stuff, so take it. It's it's like my my garbage. If you want to go, you know, if you can if you can make money off of it, fine. I, I don't need it anymore. Um, I just you know, I think that there there are, um, and I think this goes back to something else you're saying that you know, with within these these Silicon Valley companies, uh, there are graduate schools dedicated to the attention economy and keeping people hooked on their platform by design.
0: Right. right? And it's not just the, not just the attention economy. It's the economy of surveillance capitalism. Yep. And, uh, these are important things that we need to be aware of. And then we need to think about, you know, what, in what space around these things do we want to advocate? Certainly yep. in terms of being aware of what's going on, but hopefully, uh, you know, helping students be able to, to, uh, look at the, the ethical issues that are present here and thinking about those and, and being prepared to move into that kind of environment, right. Working with that at working with technology, but hopefully being able to, to bring a strong ethical framework to bear in these environments and, you know, not to be value neutral and, uh, you know, allow some bad things to be done with these powerful tools that are increasingly in more and more hands. All right, well, hey, let's, let's wrap up with uh, some Geeks of the Week, and uh, we appreciate Scott and Peggy being with us and anyone else who has uh, has joined us. And let's see, look at that. I can click, even in my iPad, Scott, I can click show. I At some point, I was able to knight Peggy with the ability to put links in live, and I, I, I don't know how to do that. So I would, otherwise, I would make... Put put, put Scott in there. But uh, anyway, Scott's got an article in there, which I'll put in the show notes about Amazon and Ring using their cameras from doornails to create a law enforcement network. Yes, isn't that lovely? Well, I will say that thanks to Dave, we have not had the security show. Sometimes Jason and I can descend into a lot of discussion about the surveillance uh, environment and security and things like that. So I'm going to move some of those articles to next week because there are some important and good things to talk about um, but let's get out of here because we're past the top of the hour. What is your geek of the week, Dave? And then I will share mine as well.
1: So I, I uh, I wanted to put, uh, Doug Belshaw's thought trapnel on people's radar. Um, my go-to read of the week, um, that he shares out. He's also got thought trapnel daily, uh, curation of, uh, incredibly thoughtful links with, with Doug's immense insight, um, I'm a subscriber. Would encourage other people to um, to do so as well, uh, because I, I just think it's, it's really high quality, thoughtful work from um, one of the most uh, progressive and forward thinking um, people in the the ed tech space. Um, so I learn something every time I read it. Um, I'm better off for it, and just wanted to share it with uh, the Situation Room audience.
0: Awesome. And, uh, Doug Belshaw's podcast, uh, Tide Today in Digital Education is also a great listen. I've got that on my, my pocket cast subscription. So I didn't know about thought shrapnel though. So awesome to know about that. Uh, I'm, uh, as usual, exploiting my opportunity to do a geek of the week doing three, but they'll be quick. Um, Boeing has a really great video that was shared by, uh, Dustin Destin on Smarter Every Day. It's called Airbus. We're glad you're here. Some in the comments pointed out, yes, because of antitrust or anti, you know, monopoly, whatever we, you know, maybe Boeing wouldn't be able to compete in the way they are if Airbus wasn't. But it's really, I think, a classy, uh, you know, video. It's a birthday video. Um, it's clever. And, and uh, you know, it'd be worth showing to students and, and talking about. Um, also, you know, being aware of what's going on with Airbus and Boeing and, anyway, aircraft, things like that. There's been a lot of current events around that wonderful, wonderful publication from Google. Just saw this today. It's called Eight Emerging Trends for K-12 Education from Google. Um, I have not read the entire thing, but I have been reading some of it and I love how they not only have survey results and, and trends that they've identified sort of from thought leaders, but they've got articles from journals that provide additional uh, recommended reading on the topics and digital responsibility and digital citizenship. One of the things, and I'm definitely going to be checking out those articles, kind of reminds a little bit of the Horizon Report, which I don't think is actually produced anymore, and they had Horizon K twelve, but it's valuable to take a look at, you know, what people are seeing as emerging trends, and then thinking about the ways we may or may not be, you know, planning for those, uh, accommodating for those, orienting towards those in our schools. And then finally, this was also in a Google Education email blast that came out today. Rivet hadn't heard of this. It's completely free if you teach K one or two, uh, kindergarten, first or second grade students, there's over 2000 leveled free books available in rivet. And it's an app as well as a website. And we're always trying to get our kids to be more excited about reading and have more reading opportunities. And with that being completely free without any kind of subscription, you know, relative to, um, some of the other options that we're using, that sounds pretty good. So when you're not here on the EdTech Situation Room, Dave, where can people find you and continue to learn with you? And what, what links would you like people to check out? And um, bookmark?
1: best way to get a hold of me is uh, on Twitter, uh, at eduquin. Um, also would like to, uh, put in a side plug for, um, I don't know if registration is still open. I have to check, um, uh, summer Institute in Digital Literacy at the University of Rhode Island um, will be um we'll be there this summer for a day or two um talking a little bit about uh, Mike Caulfield's work. Uh the other thing I'd love for folks to check out is um our district does a monthly author interview series uh called M U R S D Leads. Um we've had Yang Zhao, Jiao Jial Mehta, Tony Wagner, um just to name a few on. Uh next uh we just wrapped up uh, in search of deeper learning this past month. I'll put in the show notes. Um, but next uh, for next year, we've got um, Elliot Washer, uh, John Warner, and again, Mike Caulfield as our, our three authors for the fall dates and notification will be coming out. Um, so check out those two opportunities. We also welcome people who want to join us in the conversation, who would like to be part of the interview panel. Uh, again, reach out. We'd love to have you.
0: All right. Well, fantastic. Well, I am W Fryer on Twitter. My blog is speedofcreativity.org. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to a few more weeks of work and then passing the baton of technology director and trying to follow your wonderful lead there with instructional technology, Dave. And I'm going to be uh, focusing on innovation and technology integration coaching with our Teachers next year, so excited about that. Want to encourage you again to check out uh, edtechsr.com for all of the show notes and links that we referenced tonight. Please follow us on Twitter at edtechsr. Uh, next week, I think Jason will be back, but rumor has it that Dan Krutka, Doctor Krutka from oh, Dallas-Fort Worth area, is going to be joining us. A great social studies teacher and uh, teacher educator, and we look forward to that. Uh, we'll be having a couple changes with some different. Travels and things like that happening in the summer. So if you follow us on Twitter at EdTechSR, you can keep track of all that. So thank you for tuning in. Thanks to Scott and Peggy for joining us live in the chat room. And we will see you again next week on Wednesday night. Same time, same place, most likely. Uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Pacific. If it's UTC, it's really early in the morning. It's like 3 a.m. So you're probably not tuning in from there but whenever you are tuning in we'd love to hear your feedback and we want to thank you for listening or watching the EdTech
1: situation room